we're going to continue on in our series called The Gospel Plus. We'll talk a little bit more about that today, but I want to give you a quick report about what happened at the building here yesterday. I've been promoting this event for a while, and there were a handful of people who gathered for our Relate Strong seminar on uh, physical intimacy, and this was a really good session. I thought it was great information, just good conversation. One question that came up that, I, that stuck with me and I wanted to share with you that they asked us to discuss around tables is, why is the church qualified to tell people in society what a healthy sexual relationship looks like? hear that go. Uh, I mean, those things, we kind of don't really put those two things together. Like it's talked about over here, the church talks about Jesus and the cross and, and that kind of stuff. The question that was put to us is, why is the church qualified? What is it that we have to offer this conversation? It was great. I, I want you to think about that question. To go, how does the gospel connect with relationships, with our sexuality? with healthy sexual relationships that in a lot of ways, I think our culture is getting wrong. That was a lot of what we discussed and talked about yesterday. So anyway, just wanted to give you a little preview window. It was good, it was healthy conversation. And it was challenging in a lot of good ways. So thank you for uh, supporting this congregation where we can host seminars like that, where we can do teaching and have these kinds of discussions. Uh, it's, it's good stuff. I wanna get back to what we said at the end of our lesson last week. We sent you off with some homework. It was like, uh-oh, uh, my dog ate it. I don't remember what it was. That was a long time ago. It was. But we sent you out and we said, practice beatitude evangelism, which is affirming Christ-likeness in someone else. We said, go out this week and try to tell somebody you are like Jesus. What you just did, that's a lot like Jesus. Whether or not you know it, whether or not you follow Jesus, you are reflecting Jesus. So, and I said last week, I would ask you how it went. And that's what we're going to do right now. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up, turn to somebody next to you, and tell them, who did you affirm? Who did you tell was like Jesus in some way? And the, uh, the safety net question, if you weren't here last week, or you're like, I spaced it, I, I forgot to do it. Uh, the question for you is, who is someone in your life, in your life who is like Jesus that you could affirm? Whom you could tell, you are like Jesus in the way you do this. It's a lot like Jesus. Okay, so question one, who did you affirm Christ's likeness in? And, or question number two, uh, who could you do that for? Take uh, one minute and turn to somebody next to you and respond to those questions. Ready, go. And for those folks who are joining us on the line, you guys can say the name of the person in the chat or tell the story if you like. Interact with us here. <laughs> uh, I love that you guys are thinking about this. Who do I know? It's like Jesus. Oh man, I had a couple moments like that this past week where I saw Christ likeness in somebody. I could have said it. I didn't think about it until like a couple days later. Oh man, maybe I'll get the chance again. And there was someone in my life that I affirmed Christ likeness, but I didn't specifically connect it to Jesus. I'm not really sure why. Maybe just was like, ah, I don't know. Maybe not the right time or something. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Talk to Jeff about how God's at work in his life. Uh, man, cool stuff going on. But yeah, I, I appreciate you guys thinking about this. Who, who have I shared Jesus with? It's a simple way to say, you may not follow Jesus. Maybe you do, but like, you're halfway down the road in following Jesus. If 
your patience or your generosity, your, your kindness, you're willing to sacrifice for others. That's a lot like Jesus. And as a Christian, that's important to me. These are simple things that we can take into our, uh, into our week. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I said uh, our ratios are off sometimes. If we're like, we're preaching the gospel at Tri-Valley, 20 minutes on Sunday, once a week, one person talking, and like 60, 70 people listening. What if instead we turn that on its head and we sent 60 or 70 people out to affirm Christ's likeness and to say we believe the gospel, just put in a good word for the Lord seven days a week? I like those numbers. Uh, so I appreciate you guys talking about this, doing this, being challenged by this. I'm challenged myself. I said each week we give you a gospel summary, something where it's like, I mean, the gospel you saw in the video, it has all these like stories, all this big, the Bible's a big book, right? Uh, so instead, we'll, we'll boil it down with some simple images. The songs that we've been singing are declaring our faith. Those are helpful. But I said each week I'd give you a gospel summary. The gospel summary this week, you actually already heard. Hank Richardson read it for us, and we're going to hear it again now. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. This is Paul. Paul has a lot to say. If you've read the New Testament, you're like, come on, Paul, we get it. You know how to write. You got a lot to say. Sound like some preachers I know. But uh, here, this is a really kind of concise explanation of the gospel and what we ought to do with it. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's good news. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, he made him to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See here language about us delivering the message of reconciliation with God through Christ and being ambassadors of this good news. People who go out and make connections and send this message of what God has in mind. The last couple of weeks in our Gospel Plus series, we've been talking about the importance of proclaiming the gospel, talking about Jesus uh, outside of church. And the, like I said, the last two challenges we had last week was affirm Christ's likeness when you see it in someone else and simply let somebody know you're a Christian. Let somebody who doesn't know you follow Jesus find out that this is what you're trying to make at the center of your life. The principles of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the hope that we have in Jesus. I appreciate you guys doing this. This is a good thing to do because it keeps us from what often is the default in the Christian world, and that is compartmentalizing our faith. I've talked about this before. The image that I keep going back to is the image of a section plate. If you've ever had a TV dinner or if you ordered takeout from Panda Express, if you've ever had one of those cafeteria plates that has the different sections of food on it, we know that sometimes we keep different areas of our lives in their respective places. Like <laughs> sometimes if, you, uh, if you're a school teacher and you run into a student in the grocery store, they're like, oh, you exist in this section of my plate. I don't know why you're now in my grocery shopping section. That could be how it is for us. We bump into somebody outside of the normal place where we encounter them. 
sometimes we treat the gospel like that too. It exists in one area of my life. It doesn't touch the other areas of my life. And it may not be, it may even be a big section of your plate. It may be a meaningful and important part of your life. But it can sometimes look like this. It doesn't interact with these other areas. And there's two, at least two side effects of compartmentalizing your faith and keeping it in its own section. One is we think that the best way to share Jesus with folks is to try to get them to come into that compartment where Jesus exists with us. We try to like get them into a Bible study, get them into church, show up for, the, for those 20 minutes on Sunday morning. Or we'll stress out about ways to try to bring spiritual matters into a conversation outside. And this is, this is a side effect for us saying, like, it has to be here. It has to be like this. Lately, I've been listening to a church planter by the name of Seth Bouchel. You probably heard me mention his name if you're in our Equipped for Evangelism class, Sunday mornings at 9.30. Definitely heard me mention his name. I think he's got a lot of good ideas. I've been learning a lot from him through his books and podcasts over the last couple weeks. But he says this. He says, the kingdom of God is not a topic of conversation. It's a spiritual reality breaking in around us at all times. And so we're not trying to shift the conversation to spiritual things. We are acknowledging God's existing presence and involvement in all things. And that may be a subtle distinction of what we do when we're trying to, to share Jesus with people, but I think it's an important one. Being able to see God's presence and God's influence in every area of our lives and in the world around us, like the whole plate of food, every section that we have, is part of how Seth and his teammates train missionaries and church planters and evangelists. Here, I'm going to get into the weeds a little bit, like, let me get specific about what they do. They assume, when they send people out, assume that people are going to talk about certain topics. When you're in casual conversation with people, when you're talking with your coworkers, when you're talking with your neighbors, certain topics are bound to come up because that's what people just end up talking about the same stuff, things that we have in common over and over again. They say, anticipate those conversations and then be prepared to explain or contribute how these topics relate to the gospel, how my faith intersects with these areas of life. Let me talk a little bit more specifically about it. Better go ahead and put up the list of the five most common things that people talk about. He's kind of narrowed it down, and it can vary by region or by uh, generation or age group, but pretty much, if you're around people, these topics are going to come up. Money, family, politics, uh, work, and recreation. And you'll see in this family and uh, work area, relationships. My relationship with my mom, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my boss. He's Nod your head if you talked about this with someone this week. <laughs> if any of these topics of conversation came up, they come up all the time. Uh, and if you know that they're going to come up and you understand, okay, well, how does my faith relate to my work? How does my faith relate to my relationship with money? How does my faith, how do I treat people? How does that have to do with my relationships? And there's, there's an opportunity for you to share a gospel perspective. I'll give you an example that Seth uh, gave. He said a friend of his was complaining to him one time about having to loan money to his sister. And he's like, this isn't the first time I had to loan money to my sister. And uh, we all know that when you loan money to family, it's not really a loan because you don't expect to get it back. 
So his friend was complaining about having to loan money to his sister again, bail her out of a situation. He's like, I know I'm not going to see that money again, but like, it's family. You just do it because that's what you got to do. Seth took that opportunity to say, you know what, I really respect that. You know, Jesus said that anybody can give money knowing it's going to be repaid, but only people who really understand generosity will give money knowing that it won't be repaid. His friend wasn't a believer. He said, I know you're not a very religious guy, but as a Christian, that kind of generosity, that's really important to me, and I really respect that. That opened a door, and his friend responded by saying, really, where did Jesus say that? Seth's like, oh, I don't know, let's, let's look it up together. And they shared some stories about Jesus from the gospel. It led to an opportunity to share faith. And you'll notice in that example, there were two of the five most common topics of conversation covered in there, money and family. It's also a great example of what we talked about last week, the attitude evangelism, affirming Christ's likeness when you see it in someone. You loan money to your sister, and you may not be happy about it, but you're really acting the way Jesus said we should. Loaning money without expecting it to be repaid, that's a Jesus virtue. You're acting a lot like Jesus. His friend was like, oh, okay, tell me more about this Jesus that I'm apparently already like. So here's the thing about this method, doing this ourselves in our conversations. You can't do this if you don't know how the gospel impacts these areas of your life. If you treat Jesus and the gospel like something that only impacts one area of your life, like think of the section plate again, then you won't be able to have this conversation. There's a funny scene in the, the, the Netflix show Cobra Kai uh, in the new season. I saw this the other day, and uh, there's these, these karate senseis, and they kind of burst into a meeting that they weren't invited to, and they sort of like introduce themselves. They go down the line explaining who they are and what their credentials are. It's three karate senseis, and then one of the senseis wife. And so they, they come into this meeting, and the main character says, I'm Sensei Daniel LaRusso, two-time All-Valley champ. The next guy says, I'm Sensei Johnny Lawrence, also two-time All-Valley champ. Then the third guy says, my name is Chosen Taguchi, Master Sensei. And then the last person is the guy's wife, and she says, Amanda LaRusso, karate adjacent. <laughs> she realized they're all just like listing their credentials. They, they're senseis, they're master senseis. They live and breathe karate, they teach karate. And, you know, she's, she's, she sees it go by, and she's there. She's like, I'm karate adjacent. I, I can't really say the same. And I wonder if part of the reason Christians don't share their faith outside of church is because we are gospel adjacent. We're connected to it. It's there. We, we know a lot about it, but maybe we can't claim it in the same ways as these master senseis do. Are we just gospel adjacent? That's part of the reason for this series, to help us go from being gospel adjacent to being filled to the full measure of God, to like understand what the gospel is, how it impacts our lives, and be equipped and confident enough to share that with the people we interact with. So we've been focusing so far in this series on what the gospel is, making sure that we understand it, giving us some simple and useful, practical ways to articulate it. And now we're going to move to start thinking about the gospel plus. The gospel plus these five areas of our lives. The gospel plus relationships. The gospel plus our recreation 
And this morning, I'm just going to spend a little bit of time leading us through some thoughts on the gospel plus money. So let's begin by hearing an extended passage where Jesus makes several comments about people's relationship with money. The context of this is, keep in mind, uh, as Jesus does a lot of the times, he's giving this teaching within earshot of the Pharisees, who, it, I mean, it's not just implied, they have an unhealthy relationship with money. And Jesus has some critical things to say about the Pharisees, uh, but listen for what Jesus has to say about a healthy relationship with money. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, uh-oh, what shall I do now? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their home. And this is what he does. He called in each one of his master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450. Okay. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? Well, a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. This is that criticism of the religious leaders. Of his time. I tell you, use this worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And then Jesus went on to say, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worthy, worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And this is just one of several places in the Gospels, Luke especially, where Jesus talks about money, clearly and directly. Uh, and what we see in this passage, there's a lot going on here, but you, you may have picked up on debt forgiveness being something that's important. You hear Jesus in this passage saying, people are more important than earnings. You hear Jesus warning us about serving two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And you hear Jesus pointing out that sometimes our worldly wisdom is actually counter to the gospel. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So that should prompt us to say, okay, well, you know, what is the worldly wisdom that comes with money? What is the general assumption that most people make when it comes to money? I think uh, money is a good thing, generally. Something that we should strive to get more of. Some people will live by the maxim that money is power. 
Money for a lot of people is status and it determines their value. It determines you can do this, you can't do this, you can be involved with these people, you can't be involved with these people. Having money is having security. You can worry less if you have money. Again, assumptions that a lot of people live by. And like I said, money determines what level you're at in life. And, uh, ideally, people are, are not going this direction, ah, less money. People are usually trying to get more money and be at a different level than they were. I heard a, uh, a report about a man who was hiking. He was out in a, a rural area and he found a box. And it was a box, like an old box that was obviously placed there by somebody. And the box that he found wasn't locked, so he was able to open it right up. And what he found inside was something that would make him richer than he'd ever been before. It was something that would make her, him richer than he'd ever even imagined. And I wonder what was inside that box that made him richer. And I'll tell you what was inside that box, but before I tell you, I want you to think of all of the things that it could have been. What was inside the box that said, I'm so excited. This is going to make me rich. Maybe it was a winning lottery ticket. Maybe it was a priceless antique. It's kind of funny because if I found a priceless antique, I wouldn't even know it. I'd be like, yep, junk, one of the garbage. But maybe he knew. Maybe it was a precious stone, and he could tell that it was valuable by the way that it was placed in this box and hidden. Or maybe it was just a big pile of cash. That would have been the easiest. Like, whoa, okay, <laughs> this is my lucky day. It was more valuable than anything he already had, and it turns out this guy sold all of his other valuable things just to make sure that he became the rightful legal owner of what he discovered in the box. Now, I'm going to tell you what was inside the box, but before I do, I want you to think about what you would like to find in a box like that. What would make you richer? What would make you happy? What would be like, yes, this is the best day of my life? What could be in a box that would give you the same feeling that this man found? Uh, maybe it's a job offer. Maybe it's a, like a deed to a beach house. Oh, it's beach house time. I'm at beach house level now. Maybe it's a legal document that lets you know that you're entitled to a great inheritance. Well, I was thinking about the job offer thing. I was, I was hanging out with some friends the other week and we were talking about people who got put in that situation that I think it would be amazing to be in where you, you go into your boss's office and they write down a number on a slip of paper, and they like, they slide it across the table. You know what I'm talking about? Like you open it up and you go, ooh, they're making you an offer. They're like, we want to bring you on. We want you to do something, and this is what we're willing to pay you. Ooh, that's an exciting situation. We were talking about times when that really happened. I know a school teacher that was so valued in uh, the school district, but she was planning on moving. She's like, I'm, I'm leaving the state, so like I can't sign on for the next year. The principal called her to the office and, uh, wrote down a number on a slip of paper, slid it across the table. She looked at it and was like, wow, that's a really generous number. That's a big increase for me. But honestly, like, I got to go. Like, I'm leaving. I can't teach here because I'm moving. And then the principal said, okay, well, then name your price. What will it take for you to stay? And the teacher ended up saying, there's no price. I'm sorry. Like, I, I got to move friend of mine heard that story, he's like, yeah, I got a buddy who he works in tech, 
He worked 20 years, and he helped build up this company, and they did really, really uh, well. And he was ready to retire. He's like, I got more money than I know what to do with. I don't want to work anymore. I'm just tired. Like, I'm done. And the company said, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, we're about to do this big merger. We're about to do this thing. It kind of depends on you being here. So we want you to, you know, name your price. Write down the number that will get you to stay here. He was like, I, I don't know. So he, he came up with, like, a ridiculous number, like something that no one should ever be paid for, for staying on for two more years and working for a company. And he wrote that number down, slid it across the table to the employers, expecting them to go, yeah, right, yeah, have a good retirement. But they said, okay, okay, you got it. And he's now four months into a two-year commitment. And by the way, he's miserable. He hates it. He was ready to go. He didn't want to stay. Uh, and he can't help but wonder, man, I made up a ridiculous amount of money? And they said, yes? How much higher could I have taken this negotiation? Like, they were willing to pay it. They might have been willing to pay double a ridiculous amount. And, oh, man, I was sitting at this table with my friends, and we were discussing. We are getting excited the way you guys are getting excited. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? That's what I would want to find in that box. It's just, oh, somebody affirming my value with like a, a dollar amount. You are worth this much. I love that because it's just cool. Like something slide across the table. Why don't you take a look at that number and see if that fits there for you. And I realized I'd spent all week in this passage. I spent all week thinking about the gospel plus money. And I'm sitting around with other ministers of the gospel. And the thing that we're drooling over are these dollar signs, these opportunities. Maybe we're missing it. So what's in the box? According to Jesus, the gospel is in the box. You're like, oh man, what a, what a churchy answer. The gospel. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that was hidden in a field, that once somebody found it, they were willing to sell everything they had just to secure it. If we're talking about the kingdom of heaven in the sense of God's kingdom coming and God becoming king and Jesus being the Lord of our lives, then we're talking about the gospel, the good news of God's reign in the world and in your life. We can think of all kinds of things we want to see in that box, and Jesus is like, the most valuable thing that could be in that box is the gospel, which you already have. Sometimes it's hard for us to think outside of the box. The world says money is security, but the gospel says that our eternal security is found in Christ alone. The world says money is status. It tells you where you fit in ranking. It tells you how valuable you are, how good you are. The gospel says that Jesus reconciled us with God so that we can be called his beloved sons and daughters. We live in great standing with God. We already know our worth. We know what our status is in Christ. The world says that the money is the most valuable treasure we could ever find, and it could change your life forever. But the gospel has some other ideas. So, think about this. Side note. I didn't know how to fit this into the message, so I'm going to awkwardly just mention it now and let it hover out there. Uh, Christianity is exploding in the poorest parts of the world, and it is declining in the richest parts of the world. I have no more to say about that. I'm just going to mention it. So think about this. When people 
are talking about money, when it comes up as a topic of conversation that comes up often. And they're making cultural assumptions about money. They're talking from a worldly perspective about money, things that like most people would agree on. Do we have something to add to that conversation? Same way that the Relate Strong people said, in what ways is the church qualified to speak into culture about healthy sexual relationships? I want to ask, in what way is the church uniquely qualified and equipped to speak a good word, a word of good news about our relationship with money? I think we have a lot to say. I think we have a lot to offer. But when people talk about it, do we just go along and share those assumptions? Not that there aren't areas of overlap, but does the world's understanding of money kind of match on a one-to-one -one level our own understanding of money and what we do with it? Or is it an opening for us to say, you know what, that reminds me of something that Jesus said about money. Or for you to say, yeah, you know, I agree with some of those things, but here's where it gets hard for me as a follower of Jesus. Here's where I, I, I'm really challenged. Does the gospel have a word of encouragement or hope on the subject of money that the world needs Here's your new challenge for this week. I've been kind of sending you out, interact with people, like maybe have some hard conversations, do some things that maybe we're not comfortable with. I want to give you a little break this week. This one's a little bit more of an internal thing, something you can do on your own by yourself. I want you to spend this week reading and thinking about what Jesus taught and demonstrated about a healthy relationship with money. You can take Luke chapter 16 and just read the passage we've already read. Reflect on that. Consider, well, what does that have to say? What does this tell me about what God wants? What does this tell me about what I should do in my life? And just see if spending time soaking that up overflows into the conversations that you hear and that you have about money. See if maybe it leads to more gospel-centered uh, view in your own life about your relationship with money. And then maybe even an opportunity to share that good news with someone. That's the challenge. Let Jesus' views on money become yours. As they're fresh on your mind, let them spill over into your conversations. Here is, uh, I thought of like practical ways that this could come up in conversation. Because sometimes it doesn't come up naturally, but here are a couple suggestions. Based on what we already heard from this passage, you could say, hey, you know, Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. And uh, I use money, but how can you tell if you're serving Maybe you have a good answer to that. Maybe the person that you asked that question of has a good answer for that. Claire, can you click the slide and uh, give us these questions up here? Just two questions. First one is, like I said, you can't serve God and money, but what does it mean to serve money? How can you tell if you've gotten to that place where money has become something you're serving? The second thing you might say is, uh, oh, Jesus said whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. Do you find that to be true? Is that something that you've observed as well? Is that true? Is, to what extent is that true? These are just kind of natural things that could come up. But again, you can't say, I was thinking about what Jesus said, if you haven't been thinking about what Jesus said. I used to write discipleship questions at the end of every sermon. I put them in the newsletter, I published them on the website. And uh, honestly, the reason I stopped doing that is because I got very little feedback from the congregation that uh, people were actually Maybe you could. Some people were, and I appreciate the times that you were, but it just didn't seem like it was something that was landing. But it's not something, that, it's still something that I want to encourage you to do. Take what we talk about in here and go, okay, let's talk about this at the table. Let's talk
talk about this in our interactions with other Christians. Well, what I'm trying to show with these questions is uh, you can have this conversation with anybody. The topic of money comes up. You're like, I've been thinking about my relationship with money. Am I servant to money? Am I, am I serving two masters? What do you think about that? Even someone who doesn't follow Jesus may say, well, here's what it says, and for you, maybe this is it. It's a good, good way to bring the gospel into the conversation. That's all I have written on my papers for this morning, and I, sometimes I write a, a, an outro or a smooth way to get from here to my seat. Uh, but there's nothing there uh, today. So I'm going to close out in prayer, and then I'm going to invite Brett to come up and share the prayer request with us, and then we're going to go out, and we're going to live this. And uh, appreciate you guys being here and listening. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for songs of faith, for testimonies about ways that you've transformed our lives. And God, we thank you for our money. Uh, I'm thankful that... Uh, the way that I've been supported by this congregation makes life comfortable for me. I've been able to have so many kids and put gas in my tank, food on my table. And know that, uh, that's a, a blessing, and that's a luxury that a lot of people don't have. But Lord, as I consider my relationship with money, I pray that you will reveal to me ways that uh, it's not gospel-informed, and ways that it is gospel-informed, that you'll increase those and multiply those. And in everything, I want to see through Jesus' eyes. I want to be a better disciple of Christ. I want to love people the way Jesus did. I want to be sacrificial the way Jesus did. I want to have the, the characteristics and the heart of Jesus. And I can't do that by myself. So God, we're here in the, in the spiritual exercise gym, uh, lifting weights and strengthening our muscles, but we, we just pray that you will be our energy, you will be our growth, you will be the transforming force that makes us more and more into the image of Jesus. And I pray that if this happens, and when this happens, you will receive the glory, that your kingdom will come, our lives will be transformed, and uh, the light of Christ will shine and bless others so that they can know your love. Um, I'm just thankful for your word. Listen to it today. We pray that you send us out to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. We pray this in his name. Amen.